your character is remarkable. I mean, it, 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 even when you're not being violent, there's this this violence that seems like it's going to burst out any second. To what extent were you, are you responsible for that, and to what extent did David Chase create the character? A little bit of both. I mean, I have a little bit of a temper, but it's, you know, a useless temper. <laughs> doesn't accomplish anything generally. It's just a lot of ranting and raving and nothing. But uh, So David probably saw that and put it in, into the character. I'm not Tony Soprano by any means. You know, it's an exaggeration of everything. Um, but there are seeds there, which David yeah, saw. Yeah, I think so. After four or five years, there are seeds. One reason people, you know are good at certain characters after a long time is because the writers see stuff and they put it in and it makes life easier for you. You know, he's not going to have me, um, I don't know what, sing or something, you know what I mean? There's certain, certain things that are in my nature and he'll, I think he'll write certain things like that. But he also stretches the character, all the characters and challenges everybody and everybody steps up. Welcome to Every Night's a School Night. There's plenty to talk about, plenty I could talk about, and I do plenty of talking. But I'm going to do my best to avoid hot, 
topics. I do my best to avoid current events, but specifically hot topics with this episode. Uh, but I ain't gonna avoid a hot topic. The store. You hear the looting hot topic? They're looting hot topic. People are getting all kinds of free t-shirts that say uh, the clowns in my head or laughing at me, whatever they say, whatever those shirts say. I, I constantly come up with ideas for those shirts. I feel like a lot of the things I say on this show, a lot of the little slogans I come up with on this show would make great Hot Topic t-shirts. They're looting Hot Topic. How dare they? You see that they're looting Hot Topic? Looting Hot Topic. That's the only Hot Topic we're talking about. Um... But uh, that last song there was by Warden and his Fugitives with I Love You. And what I loved about that song is how he's just gasping. Those moments in between lyrics where he's, you can hear him audibly gasping, which might have been for dramatic effect, but it was effective. If it was for dramatic effect, it was effective dramatization, so I appreciated it. And his voice was so raspy and raw. It's a song when definitely a garage band, and by that I don't mean like teenagers in a garage jamming. I mean that was from the garage era, the garage rock era, which I'm not that into, except in cases like that where you can hear, you could hear in the guitar, you could hear in the melody that they were still kind of going for a little bit of a early 60s, late 50s sort of doo-wop or pop sort of sensibility, which is why I like it. I like garage rock that does that. I don't like garage rock that is is just pure garage rock. I don't I'm not going to say I don't like it, but it's just not something that I gravitate toward. The melody isn't there. And the melody was there along with that raspy gasping voice, a good raspy gasp. And uh you know, it, you know, I'm not going to address, I'm not going to give political opinions here. I feel like sometimes I, I kind of, I get there. And it's not that I have no political opinions, you know, as much as I try to maintain equanimity. And it's not even that I have to try. It's just, I think that I'm naturally that way. And I also do what I can to maintain that. And right now people are, it, what, what's going on right now without saying anything one way or another, I feel like there's this hostile game of Simon Says going on. And, uh, yeah, it just feels like some sort of cruel version of Simon Says. Do this. No, do that. Do this. Well, don't do this. Do that. You know, it just seems like it's so unfocused. It's We can see, you know, I keep talking about how Everything, the only conspiracy theory is the idea that people want you to think they know what they're doing, and they want you to think they know what's right. And that's why it feels like some bizarre game of Simon Says, where you really can't win because they're going to constantly tell you to do something else. And I could be talking about anybody, from any side of any argument. And uh, what's going on right now, too, I mean, we're seeing a mental health collapse. The second quarantine started, if you you want, you know, obviously I'm Nostradamus, you know, because when this quarantine started, when coronavirus, you know, hit, 
on this very show, I said my biggest concern is the long-term mental health impact. And it's not that what people are upset about isn't important, you know, because no matter how you feel about it, you know, this is an important conversation, which is why it's escalated the way that it has. But you can see where people are even mad at people who are promoting love and peace. And yeah, those things often have a, a degree of emptiness to them, as we see in what I call the positivity industry, where it's just platitudes and motivational quotes superimposed over, you know, imagery that you would see on the wall of, you know, a 50-year-old woman's kitchen, uh, you know, and, and I understand that that doesn't really offer anything, but things are bad when people are rejecting actual examples of love and unity, and that's what I'm gravitating toward, because I have seen examples of that, but many people don't want to see that. Like I said, there's a mental health collapse going on right now. And I'm not saying that what people care about is crazy necessarily, but you can see that the way that they are handling the state of the world right now, it's not coming from a place, it's not somebody to follow. You know, you don't necessarily want to follow, just because somebody has has placed themselves on the podium and they're telling and they're and they're playing Simon says and they get to be Simon because that's kind of what what all this interconnectivity has done is it's kind of turned us all into thinking we are Simon. Everybody thinks they're Simon. You want know, to talk about mental health collapse? Eric's sitting there saying everybody's everybody thinks they're Simon. But really it kind of feels that way. Everybody We're playing this game of just bizarre, you know, hallucinatory... It's like everybody's on acid playing Simon Says, is how I feel. And not to take anything away from people who are on acid, because I think they would probably have more clarity. As much as I don't promote drugs or psychedelics, it's like someone on acid right now probably have a lot more clarity. Uh, But uh, yeah, it's like everybody's like a self-appointed Simon playing Simon Says... And uh, that's a hard game to play. I like musical chairs more. I'd rather play musical chairs than this cruel and bizarre, crazy game of Simon Says. Where nobody wins. And does anybody ever win in Simon Says? How is that game... How do you conclude a game of Simon Says? By overthrowing Simon? I've never, you know... I've only ever played Simon Says for like two seconds before everybody gets bored. You know, I don't know how that game concludes. I don't know how you win or you lose. I guess it's obvious how you lose Simon Says because you don't do it right and then Simon uh, pokes your eyes out. But, you know, really, like, I mean, I'm I'm not a pacifist, but I've never been in a fight. It gets into that thing where I used to get into these conversations with my with friends of mine who considered themselves feminists, and I would say, I would tell them, I would say, I'm not a feminist, and they would say, no, but you are. You just don't know. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not a feminist, because that implies that there are certain checkboxes that I mark off, and I have to be committed to those, and there's this, you know, this so-called consensus 
that feminists have decided are, you know, you know what I mean? Like, like, they're, like, I don't want to agree with the consensus, even if in my behavior, I believe in treating women well and equal and whatever else goes along with it. Um, you know, I don't want to be attached to that. I would rather live by example. And I would say I'm not a feminist, but they say, no, but you are, but you are, you are a feminist. Like, and it's like, and then, but people are really uncomfortable. It would make people I knew very uncomfortable. It made a girlfriend of mine really uncomfortable. It made both male and female liberal friends of mine uncomfortable. And it wasn't like I was going around saying, with my hands on my hips saying, I'm not a feminist. You know, it wasn't like I was proclaiming it, but when we had these discussions over a beer or whatever, it made people uncomfortable because they want to know what you are. And I, I think it's the same thing for pacifism, where I'm not a pacifist, but I've never been in a real fight. Yeah, I've smacked friends around growing up. I've been in little squabbles, but I've never been in like a serious, like shoulder to shoulder, punching, swinging, kicking, hurting. I've never been in something where you're actually trying to cause real harm to somebody. And let me just give a little story. Like I can think of like probably one of the most serious fights I ever I was ever in was when I was 13. Uh two friends were over at my house along with two Swedish exchange students. One of them was mine, the other one was a friend's. And my two friends who are my age, two of my best friends, they locked me out of my own bedroom because the Swedish exchange students were babysitting us, which think about that. That's freaking comedy. If you've never been babysat by two 16 or 17 year old Swedes, like straight from Sweden, never been to America, living in, with these American families. If you've never been babysat by two Swedish teenage boys, I recommend it, but not now, maybe. You might be a little bit too old to be babysat by some Swedish teenagers. (laughs) It might be a little weird, you know, if you're 35 and you're you're being babysat by a 17-year-old Swede. But these two Swedes were babysitting us, so it was chaos. They, They didn't know how to babysit us like wild American kids. But my two best friends, they locked me out of my own bedroom and pretended to break all my shit. And they were, I don't know what they did. These guys should, they should have gone into special effects because the sounds that they were able to make sounded like they were breaking specific objects in my room that were of value to me. Like I was hearing crashes and bangs and and what's hilarious is how, like I, and, and, they would not open the door. The door was locked, and I was getting mad. You know, it was a funny joke at first. Oh, lock, lock the kid out of his own room and pretend to break his shit. Okay, you know, it's funny. I would have done that to somebody else. I've done things like that to somebody else. But it went on for way too long. And it was mainly one friend who was doing it. The other friend, I, I, he was in there, like, playing a video game, but they were both in on it. You know, it's kind of like murder conspiracy, where it's like, if you're in on it, it doesn't matter if you pull the trigger... If you're in on it, you know, you're, you're part of the conspiracy. You can be charged. You're an accomplice. But anyway, how we eventually got the door open is one of the Swedes, the more, like, quiet and polite of the two Swedes, he goes, like, he could see how, how upset I was getting. And this is why he's a good babysitter. He went downstairs, got the biggest kitchen knife, and he came back upstairs, and he just slid the kitchen knife under my bedroom door. <laughs> like, I'm not even joking. He slid this, like, long, you know, I don't, I don't know what, which, what kind of knife you'd call it, but it's like the big one that's kind of, like, almost triangular. 
you know, it, it's almost got that triangle shape, and it's just it's the biggest knife in the in the knife block. Well, you think you're the biggest. That'd be a good saying. Like you think you're the biggest knife in the knife block, but you ain't nothing but a pocket knife. But so this Swedish kid, he, he, he this is how you know. This is why you know Viking blood is still in Scandinavia. You know, because this guy, he's babysitting these kids. They're being unruly. They're being mean to me. They're pretending to break my shit. He goes downstairs, gets the biggest kitchen knife. And like a true Viking, he just slides it back and forth under the door. And then within seconds, the kids are like, the friend who was like causing the most havoc, he's like, okay, okay, okay. He's like, I'll open the door, but you have to promise, promise not to like hurt me, promise not to do anything. And at this point, I'm like, I have my hand on the handle of the door and like my shoulder is like pressed up against it where like the second that door gets unlocked, I'm opening it and charging in. And I'm like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I, I won't hurt you. Even though I'm just so mad. And uh, I hear the door unlock and I just charge in and I just start wailing on this friend. You know, not like, I mean, I, I threw some punches in, not to his face, but just, like, he was very thin. I was fat, and so, like, I just had this fat kid anger, too. And so I'm just wailing on him. And, you know, like, I'm not talking about a severe beating here, but, like, I knock him back on the bed, and I'm just, like, wailing on him. And then uh, the other friend who was playing video games, who, yeah, he wasn't really causing trouble, but he was an, an accomplice. He has to jump on my back and we fly off the bed with this other friend on my back, and then that was it. And then we start. I started laughing, of course. You know, like like anytime I've been in a confrontation, I laugh afterwards. And like everybody else, we started laughing. But the kid who I was wailing on, and like I said, I didn't like beat him, you know, badly. It was just I just kind of like gave him a little pummeling. He runs out of the room and he locks himself in the bathroom, and we just hear the water running for a really long time. And we're just and we were like sticking our ears to the door, so it's like the uh, the aggressor became the you know the victim, I guess. And we were pretty sure he was crying. That's that was our theory because like why else would he be running the water? He wasn't bleeding. Like he didn't need the water. We think that he was running the water because he was crying. But I will never in my life forget this Swede. His name was Anders coming upstairs with the knife and I cuz cuz he even said like before he grabbed the knife he was like uh one sec and he, he like goes downstairs he didn't tell me he was going to get a knife he just and he, I just see him come upstairs with the knife and I'm just like oh my god and just I'll never forget the image of him just sliding a knife back and forth very methodically but anyway I'm a pacifist or sorry I'm not a pacifist and aside from these like childhood experiences, roughhousing, getting mad, you know, I've never been in an adult fight. I've been in confrontations, but it's like what you should look at is not the fact that when I say I'm not a pacifist, someone's like, oh, this guy thinks fighting is cool or this guy gets in fights. And it's like, no, look at my track record. I don't fight, but I'm not a pacifist. Do the math on that one. You don't really need to. You look at someone's behavior. You look at their actions. And what's going on right now is people are making these declarations of allegiance to this or allegiance to that, and then they are being Simon in this weird game of Simon Says where they're saying, you have to do this, but you also have to do that. And so it, what we're looking at right now is, is possibly going to be a mental health collapse, which 
I said at the beginning of all this not to be Nostradamus or anything, not because I, I don't think it took. I don't think it took a a rocket psychologist. I don't think it took a rocket psychologist to predict that there was going to be a mental health collapse. And it's not that people's political or social views are wrong or anything, but you can see where uh, there's a there's definitely a mental health collapse, and we, we will see if people coming into close proximity with each other as things are reopening, and then people are in these chaotic situations in close proximity to each other. You know, we also might be looking at an even worse physical collapse, far worse than we already saw with the initial wave of COVID. And that's not me trying to tell people what to do. I'm just saying, let's in a, in a couple of weeks, let's see what's going on. But, uh, and, 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 you know, I don't even think this is the worst of the mental health collapse. I don't even think this is the worst of it. I think that's to come because people are excited right now, even if they're upset. You know, people, the word excitement and excited has really lost its true meaning, which is, it's not a, it's not necessarily an explosion of joy. It's an explosion of whatever it is you're feeling. Because you'll see, you'll be reading old books and you'll be like, oh, there was a guy and he got pissed, you know, and he was very excited. And and what that might mean is he's mad. So people are very excited right now. and, And when they're excited, even if there is something going on mentally, you know, we're not really seeing the full picture of it yet. So if things do settle down, oh boy, you know, and I'll be there for people. Anybody who thinks that they can get any kind of support or help from me, like I said, I've skirted, you know, I've skirted the edge of the abyss on ice skates and I've stuck my head in that hole and I didn't lose my mind then. And I'm sure there are people who are like, oh, Eric lost his mind a long time ago. But here I am, and I, you know, if someone thinks they can get any kind of insight or help or, or just want to talk to somebody, you know, I'm always willing to be there. Um, but anyway, this is this is a long sort of intro. Obviously, that opening quote was from uh, Jimmy Gandolfini, James Gandolfini, and it was a good one. I like how he sounds nothing like Tony Soprano when he talks. I always forget about that. Even though in the pilot episode of The Sopranos, he talks more in his real voice. He developed more of that Jersey mafioso sound uh, in episode two. Um, but uh, but yeah, that was followed by Warden and His Fugitives, which just the best name. I like how it's not Warden and His Prisoners. It's Warden and His Fugitives. So it's a Warden and His Escaped Prisoners, and he's making music with them. Harmony there. They're, they're walking in the same direction. There's nothing I like more than a warden and his fugitives getting together and saying, you know, I could throw you back in the can, but let's make music together. Warden and his fugitives. Great name. And uh, we're going to continue with some music here. And uh, we're going to play Vernon Oxford, who's, I believe I played his song... I'm blanking on the title, but it's like, he, he's a, I, I love Vernon Oxford. He has another song that I played where he, he's saying, you know, I don't want to be a spaceman, I just want to be a country singer. And these two songs are similarly great, and the first one is Only the Shadows Know, and the second one is Beautiful Junk. And if you put those song titles together, Only the Shadows Know Beautiful Junk, which I think is true. Because no matter how junky something is, junk makes a good silhouette. You know, I like I, I like a lot of junk in broad daylight too. 
I like the way junk looks, you know, in the same way I always go off about bad guy hideouts. And what makes a good bad guy hideout or clubhouse is the fact that there's a lot of beautiful junk around. Random pieces of junk. Like, it's like, where'd you guys get that? Where do bad guys get their beautiful junk? That's the the name of my children's book. Where do bad guys get their beautiful junk? Only the shadows know. So, you know, the song title answers the question. But yeah, silhouettes, they make beautiful junk especially beautiful. The shadows make beautiful junk especially beautiful. And only the shadows know. The shadows know a lot. As much as we learn from broad daylight, you know, you learn so much by going into the shadows. You learn so much when you can't see things. And there's a lot that only the shadows do know. There's a lot that you can't learn in broad daylight, even though daylight is wonderful. Even though I'm a a proponent of going towards the light, there's so much that you can only learn by first going in the shadows. And by going into the shadows, you gain a greater appreciation for what's there in the light, too. So you never want to run away from the shadows. You just don't want to live there forever. No matter how beautiful the junk is there. So Vernon Oxford, only the shadows know, followed by beautiful junk. cornered lover and I'm holding you so close wine tasting kisses in candlelight glow but only the shadows lost love that neither gets at home cheap rooms and cheating but we love each other so but only the shadows know but they won't They won't tell Cause they know It's a living hell To live with someone And still not live at all And I can't wait Until the day is gone And we can go We're only the sky Out of style by now 
But it's the one we slept on When we started keeping house In our old love letters Are in no one after all To anybody else but me It's just a pile of junk Beautiful John, I can't throw away. Beautiful John, more precious with days. It's just like she left it, not a picture's been unhung. And I wouldn't take the fortune for it. Beautiful John The rugs worn and bare From the steps that she took The stove in the kitchen Just barely will cook There's cracks in the dishes And the glasses where But wealth can't hold the memories in my beautiful job. Beautiful job, I can't throw away. Beautiful job, more With all this talk lately about Scandinavians and Scandinavia, you know, recent night schools, I've been riffing on that. And, you know, I just told the story about the exchange student. He wasn't my exchange student, which makes it even better. He was a friend's exchange student running the knife under the door. I think it'd be good to play a a Scandinavian name here. And this one's undeniably Scandinavian, and that's Arnie Dirksen. Arnie as in Arnold. Arnie. But the last name Dirksen, D-E-R-K-S-E-N. You always know a Scandinavian. You always can recognize Scandinavian heritage by that S-E-N. Although depending on the country, depending on the Scandinavian country, they might do S-O-N. Sometimes it's S-S-O-N. But S-E-N, surefire way to recognize a Scandinavian. And this is going to be a, a goofy little song, but it's perfect for the show. And it's called Let the Whole World Know. It's perfect for the show, let the whole world know. Uh, that's going to be a Hot Topic shirt. <laughs> it's like the last thing you'd ever expect on a Hot Topic shirt. Perfect for the show, let the whole world know. Um, but it's called Let the Whole World Know. And it's talking about the relationship between everything. It's talking about the duality. This is a song about the duality, and I think it's perfect that the title of the song is Whole World, 
let the whole world know. Little did this guy know that this would play right into my whole philosophy about the wholeness that I always talk about, the wholeness of the world, and he's talking about the interrelation between individual things, things that live in the ocean, the relationship between male and female deer. He covers it all here. And this this song's not even two minutes long. It's like a minute 44 seconds. And he manages to just explain co-origination. He manages to explain, you know, all of these concepts that people try to hammer into other people's heads. Not that they really do. It's not like Buddhists try to hammer in co-origination, you know, that dependent origination idea. It's not like they try to hammer that home, but people do come up with these really fanciful ways to try to explain this stuff when all it took was little Arnie Dirksen explaining the wholeness of the world and all of its interrelation. Honeycomb needs a honeybee. Coconut needs a coconut tree. Fishing hook gotta have a bait. Everybody gotta have a mate. Big old whale gotta have a sea. Do you gotta have a dough? I need you and you need me. Come on, baby, let the whole world know. Little flea gotta have a dog. Muddy creek gotta have a frog. Every foot gotta have a toe Come on, baby, let the whole world know Holly dog gotta have a bone Every pigeon gotta have a home Mockingbird gotta have his worm Country road gotta have a turn Fishing hook, gotta have a bait Everybody gotta have a mate Lightning bug, gotta have a glow Come on, baby, let the whole world know Fascinating things about this rally was the intermingling of the many impeccably honest Italians with the few with records. At the podium is Paul O'Dwyer. Of course, he's not Italian. He's an Irish politician. To meet old friends and new friends. Behind him on the left is Meade Esposito, the Brooklyn Democratic County leader. Yet drifting in is Joe Annacci. He's the one with gray hair. He was once on trial with Joe Colombo Jr. in a coin melting scheme. He's currently under federal indictment on a bookmaking conspiracy charge. Some people say this is as close to respectability as Joe Iannacci will ever get. Here I see all alone tonight. Cause me and my baby had a big fight. And I'm sitting here wondering just what should I do? Should I make up with her or just tell her we're through? Oh, tell me, 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 tell
the devil sitting right here on my left shoulder. He keeps telling me that I don't love her, and he says that I should not try to hold her. But the angel sitting here on my right keeps saying to me, You better call her tonight. Now, what should I do? That he ain't so nice But he's got so many temptations Miss Ginger, you ever got a couple more seconds left? I'd like to do this tune one more time. If I could get everybody to sing along with it. Do it one more time. What should I do, baby? What should I do, baby? And what would you do? Yeah, that was Joe Tex following Arnie Dirksen there. And Joe Tex, what should I do? You know, you're always in a better place than you could be if you can ask yourself that question. If you can ask yourself, what should I do, means that you're more prone to rationality. It means that you are giving yourself some credit, for one. You have faith in yourself. What should I do? Don't go off the rails. Just don't go off the rails, whatever you do. Go off the rails. You got to realize that you are the rails, baby. You are the rails. Don't worry about going off the rails or staying on the rails because you are the rails. And if you want to go off, you go off. And if you want to get back on them, well, you're already on them because you are them. You are the rails. There's no going off the rails when you are the rails. You take the rails where they want to go, baby. That's how I feel. So what should I do? Well, remember that you are the rail and the rails. But uh, we're going to, you know, play a song by a guy here um, named Jimmy Mang, M-E-N-G. And the only thing that comes to mind, when I hear Mang, I think of the pro wrestler Mang, M-E-N-G, the Tongan death grip. And he uh, also went by the name Haku, H-A-K-U. Supposedly the toughest guy off the, the stage, out of the ring. Supposedly one of the toughest pro wrestlers, just people have stories about drinking with him in bars and getting him getting into bar fights with random guys. And supposedly Meng is just was one of the absolute most terrifying and toughest pro wrestlers off the scene, you know, off the stage, out of the ring, however you want to see it. But this guy's not that Meng. This is Jimmy Meng. But he, his song here is a great answer to the previous song. You know, Joe Tex asked, what should I do? And Jimmy Mang here, the title of his song is True and Faithful. And I think that's especially important right now, is to be true and faithful to yourself. 
You know, there's a great quote that I don't know who to attribute to, and it's, anyone convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. And that doesn't mean you can't be wrong or that somebody else can't be wrong, but if you clear a path for your intuition and you just, you just feel it, you know it, it's, it's familiar, but not so familiar that you're attached. You're not attached to that. You don't want to be attached to your intuition, but when you feel guided by your intuition, you have to go with it. Because that's how you take your rails where you want them to go, baby. And uh, so what should I do? Stay true and faithful to yourself. Don't let anybody who's... Don't let any self-appointed Simon tell you what you should do if you know what you're doing is true to you. True and faithful. That's important through all of this. Don't let anybody insult your intelligence... You know, be be well-rounded. Listen to everybody. And respect that other people might be being true and faithful to themselves, even if it's not... Even if, even if that doesn't translate directly to your own truth and your own faith. So you have to respect the fact that other people might be being true and faithful to themselves, but if they don't respect that in you, as long as you're not being destructive, as long as you're not being horrible... You know, you have to, you know, people have to respect that in you. And right now, that's not going on a lot. There's a lot of people who aren't respecting other people's truths and other people's faiths. And at this exact moment of this exact episode, I feel like it's the worst that I've ever seen it in my lifetime. And I'm an optimist these days. Actually, I'm not. In the same way that I'm not a pacifist, but I don't fight. And I'm not a feminist, but I value women. I'm also not an optimist, but I try to live a constructive and positive life. Because I don't want to define myself by optimism, because that's not reality. That's not my truth. I don't have faith solely in optimism. I just see the value. I see the magic in optimism, but that doesn't make me an optimist. So no matter what, no matter what you feel, I'm not telling anybody what to think. I'll tell you, don't loot hot topics. Think about that. It's funny. I've never heard somebody call the store hot topic, hot topics. Yet I've heard people call Fred Meyer, Fred Meyers. Oh, we got that at Fred Meyers. Oh, we're going to Fred Meyers this weekend to pick up our groceries. I picked up on that as a kid where I could I could tell class difference as a young kid because you could tell that somebody was on the lower end of the class spectrum because they said Fred Myers and not Fred Meyer. You know, I could tell that somebody for whatever reason I just picked up on class difference just in that little distinction. Like people who tended to be of a lower social or economic class said Fred Myers possessive, which makes more sense. So this isn't me saying like, oh, you know, people on the the lower end of the class spectrum don't know how to say the name of a store. Good for them. I mean, I, I have nothing against the way people say things. I pronounce things wrong all the time. So it was just something that I was aware of, though, as a little kid, that there was like a class difference in the way that people say certain things, even things that are like you walk into the store and you see that it just says Fred Meyer, which is weird. 
And maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's something about the fact that people who are on the lower end of the class spectrum are more in touch with reality in a weird way because, like, it should be called Fred Meyer's. If Fred Meyer owns or started that store, it should be possessive because it's Fred Meyer's store. It's weird to call the store itself Fred Meyer. It's like when you go over to someone's house, you don't say, I'm going over to Eric. I mean, you could say that, but it's like when you refer to the house itself, you don't say, you don't look at my house and say, oh, look, it's Eric. Even though I've gone on rants here about how the home is an extension of your material body in the same way that your material body is an extension of your soul, and all of these things are just the physical manifestation of something you can't see. So maybe when they named Fred Meyer, they knew that, that the store of Fred Meyer is some sort of physical manifestation of the man himself. But when we're, when we're having real talk here, when we're, having, when we're talking amongst people as people, it would make a lot more sense to say Fred Meyers because it's his store. The store itself is not the man, whoever he is. I don't know. Hot topics. Um, but, uh, but anyway, it was just something I, I've thought about before. And uh, so much for that beautiful rant about being true and faithful to yourself. But that's a, maybe another example. Because when someone says Fred Myers, opposed to Fred Meyer, they're being true and faithful to themselves. They're saying it how they see it. And that's being true and faithful, is saying it how you see it. Jimmy Mang, true and faithful.
that's for real. As they say or used to say, as the people used to say, for real. That's for, that is for real right there, true and faithful. If that doesn't make you want to listen to your own intuition and follow your own truth and live by your own faith, I don't know what will. Except just live in your life, because there's plenty of opportunities to feel and live those things out. Just being you in this miracle of life, this phenomenon of consciousness that gives you so many options, yet sets you on a path of fate too, because it's all of the above. It's all of the above. And, uh, you know, I'm going to play some songs by Claude King here. And he's a guy who I played on a very early episode, Wolverton Mountain, which was a song about an old man on a mountain who was very real, a real old man, and talking about trying to marry his daughter and how the old man will kill you pretty much. Wolverton Mountain is that song. And Wolverton Mountain was written by Merle Kilgore who uh, is a cousin, he's been played, Merle Kilgore, he's like Jimmy J, he's like the Leuven Brothers for that matter, in that he was played a lot early on on this show. If he's not a patron saint, he's pretty close, Merle Kilgore. And Merle Kilgore also, of course, is a, a cousin of the Carters, of June Carter cash fame. And that's one thing I like about country music, even though I really don't know much about it, I really don't know a lot about the lineages and all that. I like how clannish it is. I like that they had these clans and so-and-so's cousin. In the same way that the, the Leuven brothers, whose true name is Loudermilk, in the same way that their cousin John Loudermilk was a great songwriter unto himself, you end up with these cousins and these relatives, and country music clans are a lot like mafia clans. They're very close-knit. And everyone kind of had a little hand in the business, whether as a performer or writer or behind the scenes. I like that clan sort of element that country music had. Uh, I like genealogy. I like names. I like genealogy. And I like how they form these networks of intermarriage and blood relation. I find that fascinating. It's so ancient. And especially when certain clans all participate in the same, for lack of a better word, subculture. In this case, country music, but also, you know, the mafia is a subculture too. So I just find that fascinating, and I, I love reading about that. Uh, but Claude King, I don't know if he's related to anybody, and I'm not going to play Wolverton Mountain again. That's been played on here before. But Claude King, I'm going to play three songs. So it's going to be a Claude King block, a king block. We call this a king block. And the first song is from 1952, so we're going way early. This is early, early. And the, the first song is Got the World by the Tail. And what does that bring to mind? That makes me think of Ouroboros. That makes me think of the world serpent. Because if you have the world by the tail, how does that not make you think of the great snake? You know, how does that not make you think of the great Ouroboros snake? And if you got the world by the tail, if you have the world serpent by its tail, that means it's not swallowing its own tail. And that's a feat. If you can pull the tail out of the serpent's mouth, well, then you really do have the world by its tail. 
but very early songs, so that's cool too. An ancient idea, and at least as far as this show goes, 1952 is an ancient year. And the second song in the block is Take It Like a Man, which, you know, we like crying here. We like emotion here. Every night to school night, we are all about tears and emotion when appropriate. Because I believe that that's a myth that's been perpetuated that men hate other men who cry. And in my experience, and granted, you know, I grew up in a certain time and place. Maybe it's different elsewhere. It probably is. Things are different in different places. But my approach to crying is that, and my experience with even tough guys, football coaches, you know, whoever they are, you know, is that it's not that people, it's not that men hate crying and they think that you're weak if you cry. It's just that they have a very, there are very specific situations where they feel crying is appropriate. And, and uh, whether that's right or wrong, you know, you can decide for yourself. You can follow your own truth and your own faith. But I agree with that. I think there's a time and a place for a man to cry. And I wouldn't try to tell somebody else how to do it, but it's, it's again, just one of those intuitive things. There is strength sometimes in that. And I, this song isn't necessarily about crying, but it's Take It Like a Man, which in our current culture is seen as toxic. Take it like a man. It's an ideal. Give me a break, guys. Take it like a man. It's saying, take it like an ideal man. Take it like a warrior. And the ideal is what we're talking about. We're not saying you have to live up to that. Nobody does. Nobody lives up to perfection. But, you know, you can set an ideal. You can have an ideal in place in your mind. And it can be different for everybody. Nobody can tell you what your ideal is, but take it like a man could mean anything. But I like it. I like the idea of it. Um, Because I like being a man. You know, I like being a man. At no point have I ever felt like I don't want to be a man or that being a man is somehow wrong, even if other men do do wrong. And, you know, I think in order to get the world by the tail, in order to grab the Ouroboros by its own tail, to pull that tail out of its mouth, I think you do have to know how to take things like a man. Not to say a woman couldn't do it. You know, it's not exclusionary. Everybody has their own... Everybody's on their own rail. Everybody is their own rail, like I said. So, you know, you decide for yourself based on your intuition, based on your truth, based on your faith. And the the final song is one that everybody knows, that everybody's heard, uh, most famously by Eric Burden and the Animals, and it's a song that's overplayed. I've done it for karaoke. It's an easy song to do, Uh, but House of the Rising Sun. It's one one of those popular songs that's overplayed, but every time I hear it, I enjoy it. I just do. You know, sometimes something is overplayed. I don't want to sit in my room listening to it over and over again, but whenever it come, happens to come on, I love it. And the best example is at the end of Casino, when all the mob bosses meet in court, they take off their oxygen masks, and they're talking about, you know, whether or not some, some of these guys might turn rat and snitch. And, and the House of the Rising Sun starts playing when they decide that they're going to kill these guys. Because as the, as the head mob boss says... They're all like, oh, he's a Marine. He'll never snitch. And then it gets to the last mob boss, and he's like, eh, why take a chance? 
and then House of the Rising Sun kicks in, and you see all these murders, and I love that scene. Uh, but uh, House of the Rising Sun, Claude King's version. And so we're going to start, though, by grabbing the world by its tail. I have no wife, I have no home. I just live my life alone. I'm always broke and sometimes laying in jail. But I've got something you don't got Look, every life I'll kid you not I've got the world by the tail not a chance for me to find romance I'll succeed someday if I don't fail and I'd like for you to know a worried look I'll never show I've got the world by the If I catch it, never sail I'll shed no tears but keep a smile That has always been my style I've got the world by the tail If you find that you're losing your baby's started choosing Now's the time for you to make your stand Don't just sit there of weeping If another heart she's keeping Dry your eyes and take it like a man If you let her know you love her so It'll only make things worse If you think I'm wrong In singing this song Just listen to the other verse If you never think about her You'll be better off without her Hold up your head And take it like a man Slipping, your honey's bitter dripping. 
take a walk, forget her if you can. She will lie and she'll cheat you. In the next 10 months, there were 14 shootings, which may have been connected to the events of the state. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. For example, one Frank Ferriano, a school janitor who owned a big blue Cadillac and who was shot to death in a parking lot near the Holland Tunnel. For example, one Dominic Big Tom De Angelis, a reputed Colombo gambler, was found dead on a Brooklyn corner with $500 in his pocket. There is a house in a new Orleans They call the rising sun And it's been the ruin of many poor boys And Lord, I know I'm one My mother, she was Taylor she sold my new blue jeans My father, he was a gambler Way down in New Orleans The only thing a gambler needs Is a suitcase and a trunk and the only time he'll be satisfied is when he's all drunk. There is a house in New Orleans. They call the rising sun. And it's been the ruin of me. Lord, I know I'm one.
podium is Maya Kahane. He's not Italian either. He's an activist rabbi. At the lower left enters Frank DiSapio, whose number we saw a few minutes ago. Walking through the crowd is Tony the Gawk Borgello. He'll be arrested one week after this rally by the FBI. They'll find two loaded 38s in his car. Yeah, so I mentioned Merle Kilgore because he wrote Wolverton Mountain, which is a song that the previous artist, the last artist there, Claude King, is most well known for. And, and though Merle Kilgore didn't write any of the last three songs, it's only right that I play some Merle Kilgore. It's been a long time, and uh, I think it's a good time to revisit a school night classic. And this is a song that's been played on here before, and it's a song that I play over and over again. At least I used to. And so what better time now than Wicked City? Great title. Wicked City by Merle Kilgore. And I think people are looking at cities right now as a little bit wicked. No matter what your opinion is on what's happening, whether it's the virus, whether it's the riots. Cities have a certain wickedness to them right now. We saw what the virus did to cities. And I say that without any judgment of people who live in cities, but I'm particularly averse to cities. I don't feel comfortable there. I wouldn't want to live in a big city. I live in a a relatively small city, though it's the state capital, but I'm fortunate, uh, fortunate enough to live on the outskirts of that city, kind of the last outpost before you get out there, before you get outside of the city. Uh, But, you know, I I think cities are inherently wicked. You know, crime is, you know, crime happens at just an exponentially greater rate in cities. Disease spreads quicker. And we can see what happens. Whether you agree with rioting or not, we see that it's simply a destructive act. And as I've hopefully mentioned. It's like I I have a degree of equanimity in all of this, but I can tell you I don't want to be around riots. I don't want to be in a place where viruses spread quicker, and I don't want to be in a place that, in my opinion, corrupts people, that disconnects them from nature, because I can't think of anything more corrupting than something disconnecting you from what the natural world is, and that's what cities do. So Wicked City... This song is very valid for any time, any place, especially right now. Merle Kilgore, Wicked City, taking his jewel away. And it's especially good since I talk about jewels so much and the endless pursuit of jewels. And that's often what takes people to cities. They think that an opportunity exists there. And of course, opportunities do exist there. Opportunities exist everywhere in some way or form. But in this case, you know, Merle Kilgore, he sings about his girlfriend going to the Wicked City, and the Wicked City took his jewel away. Here we go. The loss of jewels in a Wicked City.
city lights have lured you on Please, angel, don't stay away Time will pass and I won't be near And your love will fade away I know I'm just a small town boy But my love is so big for you I can tell you like the city waits You're breaking my heart each day you stay Wicked city with your building so tall You're making her heart like your cold, cold walls Your beautiful lights are causing her heart to stray Wicked city, you're taking my angel away ceases to give me chills especially that line i know i'm just a small town boy but my love is so big for you something along those lines and uh, just a, a very powerful one and you know i think the ultimate sound for me is when primarily country or countryish artists did that doo-wop or 50s 60s teener pop sound there's something about that sound coming from a country foundation because it's not country music, but there's a little bit of a twang. There's a little bit of something different. As much as I love the Bronx doo-wop sound, you know, as much as I love classic city doo-wop, you know, I don't hate cities. I just, I just see them for what they are. <laughs> Which, as, that's what a lot of hateful people say about things they, they hate. I don't hate it. I just I'm just telling them like it is. I, f- I feel like cities, though, you can do that. If you listen to the recent episode about synesthesia and how that guy with synes- with a form of synesthesia sees numbers and numbers correspond to tall things or short things, and how he doesn't like cities because they represent nines. And if a guy with synesthesia looks at a city skyline and he feels sick, because they represent nines. Well, I mean, that's his own form of saying wicked city. Um, But yeah, I don't hate cities, but there's also not a lot of draw. I like in between. I'm not a country boy either. I'm not one of these... You know, you meet some people, and they're not from the country, but they put the country rural lifestyle on a pedestal, and then when you visit the real country, and some guy, like, cuts you off with an ATV... You know, you're like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was, you know, but uh, I like a I like a balance. 
I like everything. I like a balance in my surroundings. I like to be able to access nature, but I also like human civilization too, to some degree. I just don't see much value in cities, especially because the main draw is like events and restaurants, two things that I don't really care about. Museums are great, but I don't need to live next to a museum. I don't need to live next to a museum. Uh, but anyway, I don't need to go too far here about cities. And speaking of Bronx doo-wop, um, you know, Dion and the Belmonts are probably the most famous famous example of Bronx doo-wop. And uh, this is not a Bronx group, but you can tell that they were kind of going for that vibe. Dante and the Evergreens. And I love that name because... It just doesn't sound right. Dante and the Evergreens. And I mean, I live in the Evergreen State. Washington State, we're surrounded by beautiful, majestic evergreen trees. Another reason I don't like cities. Despite living in this state that's called the Evergreen State, you go to Seattle and it's like, oh, look, it's a space needle. Isn't that cool? And it's like, where are the frickin' evergreen trees? I'd rather live in a spot in Washington State where I'm surrounded by evergreen trees where I can touch them then look at a freaking space needle. And nothing against the space needle. As far as cities go, it's a pretty interesting thing to look at. But I'm just saying, it's like in a state that's named for evergreen trees, what do you think I want to be around? The, magi- the true majesty. And uh, it's just interesting. It's an odd name for a doo-wop group, Dante and the Evergreens. And what makes it even more odd is they were obviously going for a Dion and the Belmonts thing because, you know, Dion... Demucci, they are very Italian, and doo-wop is very closely connected with, you know, metropolitan Italian culture, New Yorkers. Or, sorry, excuse me, that was the wrong accent. New Yorkers. I gotta do my proper New York accent. That that Bronx accent that I have. When I drink, my Bronx accent comes out. It's this. Um. But, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, it's it's a monkey see and monkey do world. And, of course, when Dion and the Belmonts got popular, the idea is let's capitalize on that. And Dante and the Evergreens, Dante is not even the guy's real name. His real name is Donald Droughty. Not Italian. I don't even know what Droughty is. D-R-O-W-T-Y. Sounds, sounds depressing. Droughty. He was very droughty. But his real name is Donald Drowdy, and so they came up with the name Dante, probably to make him sound like Dion and the Belmonts, or uh, you know Carlo from Carlo and the Belmonts, who was another member after Dion left. Um, so it's just kind of funny, but the result is this sort of odd name, Dante and the Evergreens, this attempt to make them sound like a like a Bronx doo-wop group with the name Dante, but then this really Western Pacific Northwest name too. And they're from California, Dante and the Evergreens. Uh, and they, they were reasonably popular. Um, they, they were a reasonably popular group, not one of the most famous, but I've played them on here before for sure. I've played some Dante and the Evergreens songs. One of them I believe is called Something Happens, which is a great song title. But I'm going to play... Uh, a couple songs by them. Actually, I'm going to play one song by Dante and the Evergreens and then another song by Dante Solo. And that's another thing because, you know, after Dion left the Belmonts, he just performed as Dion. 
And in, in this case, the same thing happened. I don't know if Dante left, but he did have a solo career where he just went by Dante. So first we're going to have Dante and the Evergreens, and that song is Magic Ring. Because one thing I like about Dante and the Evergreens, in addition to having sort of a strange name, Evergreen Trees, I wouldn't think of a doo-wop group referencing that. Uh, their songs tend to be strangely occult. Something Happens feels that way, the song I've played before, and this upcoming song, it just speaks for itself. This is one of the most occult songs I've played on here, and it's called Magic Ring. So you can do the math yourself before you even hear it. Obviously, this is going to be a magical song if it's called Magic Ring. And then that's going to be followed by a solo Dante song that is just a powerhouse. Oh, it's sweet. It's so sweet, it's called Sweet Lover. So Dante and the Evergreens, followed by Dante.
If you ever wanted to know what pure energy is, don't ask a scientist. Just listen to that song. You just heard it. I don't need to explain anything about energy because you just heard that song, Dante Sweet Lover. I don't dance. I'm not a dancer. I used to dance around my house listening to that late at night. Still makes me want to dance because it's just that is the transfer of energy. And you could be the loneliest soul in the world. And that song is going to make you feel like you're in love. Seriously. That's how powerful that song is. And the fact that Dante and the Evergreens, there's something strange about them. In the same way they said something happens, in the same way they sang about a magic ring, Sweet Lover, that's just a a pure transfer of energy right there. And uh, you could be... You could be looting Hot Topic right now. You could be breaking the windows of Hot Topic right now and looting. And if this song came on, if that song came on the store PA, you'd drop everything. You'd take that Jay and Silent Bob t-shirt and put it back on the rack. You'd hang that dog collar back up. You know, you'd take that lava lamp and you'd put it back on the counter if this song came on. This is the, that's the kind of song they should play at these riots if they want to stop them. I'm not saying I'm not telling them to do anything. I'm not telling anybody to do anything. I'm just giving some friendly advice to anybody who wants it. This is just total openness. Cuz that's magic. Magic is total openness. It is whole. And nothing makes you feel more whole than a song like Sweet Lover there. And that could easily be a song closer, but I have something better. I have something, not better necessarily, you know, we don't need to compare, we don't need to measure. I mean, I, I don't know why we have this compulsion to measure and compare infinite resources. I like this one better. 
I like this better. It's better over there. The burger here is better than the one over there. The one over there, they got better milkshakes. You know, we just we live in that world of comparison, of clutching for our little jewels, when really we're dealing so often with infinite resources and we don't even realize it, and love is one of those. I used to think love was just this thing that I just, uh, I got to hold on to it and just uh, dole it out one by one to the most deserving people, obviously my family and friends. But even then, be, be careful. Be careful. You might not have as much love later if you give out love right now. I got to hoard on to it. Hoard on. I've never said, thought of that. Hoarding on. It's a combination between holding on and hoarding. Hoarding on. Keep calm and hoard on. <laughs> That's a hot topic shirt. That's a good hot topic shirt. But put it back on the rack. The last thing we need is somebody looting hot topics. Um, but uh, yeah, the song we're going to close out with, you know, we don't, we don't need to rank anything. This is a song poem, and it's one of the more well-known song poems. I'm sure I've explained song poems before, but if you're not familiar, there was a service, and it truly was a service, where you could mail in a, a poem, a.k.a. lyrics. Because, you know, when, when lyrics aren't being sung, they're a poem. It's alchemy. When, when a poem becomes sung, it, they become lyrics. It's a transformation. It's alchemical. Speaking of magic rings and magic and the occult, you know, alchemy happens all the time, all around you. Poems become lyrics, and lyrics become songs. You know, it happens. Um, but uh, this is a song poem. Basically, people could write in, they could send in their own poems, pay some money, and a studio musician would turn it into a unique song, and they would press it onto a record. And I'm not sure how widely available they were. I own some. I own some 45s. I actually own some 45s, I, and I will be playing at least one or two at some point on this show that I haven't seen even... Not only have I not seen it uploaded to the internet, I've never even seen some of these documented. So as far as their availability goes, I don't know. But this one's well-known. It was included in a documentary and a compilation CD. And I'm glad that it's well-known, because I might not have heard it otherwise. And it's by Norman Burns. I believe Norman. It's either Norm or Norman, but same name. Uh, Norman Burns, and it's called Human Breakdown of Absurdity. And so just imagine, some human being wrote this, mailed in these lyrics, uh, and this was active, I believe this became popular, the height of song poems, I believe was the 1970s, but someone can correct me. And Norm Burns with Human Breakdown of Absurdity, and listen closely to the lyrics. I almost want to just read the lyrics aloud to you right now, but I think it's more powerful if you just hear them and pay close attention. They're prophetic, they're poetic, and as much as, as, much as you know, I'm kind of a... I have mixed feelings about poetry, these lyrics are so good that I wish I wrote them, and I'm not even joking. This isn't me being ironic. I seriously wish I had, I wish that I had performed this. I wish that I wrote this song poem. I, I wish that I was the song poem writer who mailed this in with a check so that somebody would perform it. And I also wish I was the studio mus musician who performed this. It's prophetic. It's profound. It fits the world at any time, but it especially fits the world right now. Pay close attention to every lyric. Human breakdown of absurdity. Look around you. Listen. This is what's going on. 
a place in the mountains where the sexless virgins could moan, watched by clergymen with faces of stone. Under the law of human absurdity, when the crying women of Jerusalem are empty of tears, when the bloodthirsty hunters killing the bears to satisfy their hunger for blood, to make the world know that everything could be better for human absurdity. When undertakers refuse to dig And when cocksure heroes massacre Innocent, curious people who underrate The power of human absurdity Rush to the witch Saying go and show them our charity Let the saints praise our activity Things are not right in the land of human absurdity. The tyrants of business in Wall Street will moan of the southern heat when they try to swindle the insane one who realizes that he has the game won. The game of human absurdity. Prisons are filled with blockheads who ambitious prep to bed to experience their wrong imagination that nobody can find compensation. Are all underrating the power of human absurdity. Child killing cars on the highway, gloomy smuggler boats on the seaway, and the sinister drug shark in streets of the town. Murderous thieves, hypocrites, they're all falling down. To the bottom of human absurdity Malicious Chinese producing power again Overflowing the world with radioactive rain And the Russians incriminating USA I wish them all welcome to the day Of the funeral of human absurdity
listen, you people, you people always stunk. Not you as individuals, okay? But the people you work for, the people that are in control of your newspapers, the people that are in control of your television stations, you all stunk. You stink for working for them because they've been guilty of their racist attitudes, not only to people of different colors, but to people of different national origins. The, I don't know what, what, what particular... Uh, company do you work for? What WCBS. WCBS. That's Bill Paley. Okay? Bill Paley and CBS. If you get your ton of Bradstreet sheets and you look down a run of, of, of conglomerate subsidiaries that they own, they're in control of newspapers, book publishing firms, radio stations, television stations throughout the entire country, the way NBC is, the way RCA is, okay, with Dave Sarnoff. And the people you work for are responsible for every single thing that's happened in this country in terms of racist attitudes, in terms of suppressing and oppression of poor people and grassroots people that, were, that always had needs. How do you feel about the fact that Mr. Colombo was shot here today at your Unity Day? How do I feel about that fact? That's something that I, as an Italian, based on my own cultural lifestyle, which you know absolutely nothing about, will have to deal with personally. Ma io parlo italiano benissimo. Well, you may speak Italian. I've lived in Italy. You may have lived in Italy. But unless you're an Italian, then you lack the capacity to be able to feel the way another Italian feels. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free So take my hand and walk this land with me And walk this lovely land with me Man, when you are by my side, with the help of God, I know I can be strong. I know I can be strong. 
Oh!